here we are about a month into the COVID-19 pandemic and voices are starting to rise when it comes to pointing the finger of blame. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. We're coming to you from a remote location and practicing physical distancing to enhance safety. It's amazing what you can do with a laptop in a living room. Earlier this week, former federal justice minister Erwin Kotler penned a column calling for sanctions on China for not being honest with the World Health Organization and the rest of the globe about the pandemic that was sweeping through Wuhan. When it comes to dealing with the pandemic, time matters, and China's been accused of not coming clean until it was too late. Other countries have also glanced in China's direction, as well as at the World Health Organization, no more than the United States, where Donald Trump has made many references to China, not to mention pulling American funding for the World Health Organization. Is China responsible or at least negligent? Now, we're talking about the Chinese government here, not the people. To get some more perspective on this, I am pleased to be joined by Emily de la Bruyere, co-founder of Horizon Advisory. She's also the director of China Research with that group, a consultancy that investigates Chinese policy on behalf of corporations, investors, and government agencies in the U.S. And Emily, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, your group finds there was misinformation coming out of China when it comes to the severity of COVID-19. What misinformation did you get? Oh, yeah, no question. Um, The first thing is simply no information. Uh, There were cases in China in November and December of 2019, and there was central government awareness and recognition that this was a pandemic more than a month before they alerted any other international players. And how did the World Health Organization not get that information? You know, that's a very good question. Um, And that leads to a whole other one of China's relations with the World Health Organization, the WHO's willingness to take China's word for fact, or at least to follow the mandates of Beijing system. And I mean, that's a question that's been going on for decades and that overlaps also not to conflate matters with, but it overlaps with um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology itself, which some are suggesting may have been connected to the outbreak of COVID. What does China have to gain by keeping the outbreak quiet? Yeah, um, on a first level, China doesn't like to admit to any problems domestically. Much of its global strategy rests on projecting this image of stability, both to its people and internationally, um, in order to increase confidence that gives it social, economic, commercial boons. And that's a first beat. And to the degree that it can export the blame and export the risk, that's always going to be what Beijing chooses to do. How do they export the blame? They've pointed fingers everywhere at this point. Um, there have been, you know, China has tried to tell the story that this that COVID came from the U.S. They've tried to link it to Canada. Um, they've tried to say that the reason for its spread wasn't their negligence. It was the negligence of the rest of the world. Anything that can wash their hands of it, this being rooted in China, will pass for Beijing. From your perspective, should China face sanctions? China should face something, um, but what it should face is any immediate measures like sanctions aside, there needs to be a systemic reckoning with the position Beijing has managed to establish in the international system and how it has been able to abuse that position. Sanctions don't change the fact that 
international organizations like the WHO are in Beijing's pocket. They don't change China's irresponsible practices. And so this needs to be like a true reckoning with the sort of organizations we have established as a world and how Beijing manages to manipulate those and how incentives, behaviors, and mechanisms can be adjusted so that that can't happen anymore. Yeah, you know, we, we hear, you know, let's say in the last uh, four years, we, misinformation is a word that goes around a lot and goes back to the 2016 U.S. election. And in in terms of what's going on with the misinformation here, because it takes, you know, obviously more than one person to spread it around, who's China working with, any, if anybody? So China has spent really the past decades in a concerted national strategy, making sure that either intentionally or not intentionally, the entire global information apparatus is in its pocket. And it has an inherent advantage in doing this because it controls its domestic information. So anybody reporting on or researching China has tremendous difficulty accessing the actual statistics. And and this is the obvious story now with people trying to report on what the deaths or the cases of COVID in China are, and there simply aren't numbers except for what Beijing publishes, unless you look at proxies, and those are difficult to come by. So even if you know news organizations, researchers, statistical entities aren't in China's pocket, if it's not actually working with them, they're still reporting the news that China wanted to report. So that's a whole other layer to this, which is that we as a global system have become shaped by China's information dominance. You know, China has seen an increase in in COVID-19 cases after saying they had it under control. Is this just another example of misinformation or is this the world actually taking a closer look and they're fessing up? Um, Yeah. So the statistics coming out of China have been nonsense from the beginning. And at a certain point, they're having to adjust for the fact that the world has seen through that. But even now, they're not like this is not transparency. Um, and they're still vastly understating the circumstances. Another thing, and they're doing this, you know, the whole understatement serves their interest because even if people take those statistics with a grain of salt, we're still shaped by them. And that helps China's economic interests because markets, because foreign investment, um, because commercial relationships respond to the fact that China is presenting itself as a stable player that has recovered, even though it hasn't. One other element in the misinformation campaign is that China's blaming all the new cases on imports from abroad, as if the entire pandemic has been resolved at home and it's simply a problem of foreigners coming in and bringing in COVID, which isn't the case, the borders are closed. But that's leading to a huge uptick in xenophobia and racism in China. That's a whole other problem that isn't getting coverage. Uh, What what kind of uh, racism and xenophobia is happening there? You have foreigners try to go into gyms or establishments that are open and they're not letting them because the party's propaganda has been that foreigners are the carriers of this infection in China um, on the streets getting harassed for being outside. Emily de la Briere is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, co-founder of Horizon Advisory, as we talk about China's role, role in uh, COVID-19, and in particular, looking at misinformation coming out of China since the, uh, the pandemic began. And what's changed in China since the government announced it had the virus under control? It's hard to see precisely on the ground. There is a little bit, there is more opening of business. One of the interesting things is that Beijing is clearly prioritizing 
certain businesses that it sees as strategic for its global ambitions. So to the degree that it's concentrating its efforts on recovery in certain places, it's area, it's companies with foreign investment, because that changes the global narrative more than anything else. Um, it's also companies that are in the strategic sectors where it wants to expand its international footprint. So 5G and other information systems, also things like microelectronics and obviously medical and PPE equipment that let it monopolize critical nodes in global supply chains. How do you see this current pandemic shifting the world's political order? China thinks that this pandemic gives it a slam dunk, that it can use this to accelerate its strategy. It planned to achieve global hegemony by 2049. Now it's speeding up that entire timeline. But the other thing is this could be the wake-up call that the world needs to recognize that China is a bad actor that has offensive ambitions and that we can't simply let it run all over our multilateral systems. So there's a chance that this actually creates the kind of systemic contest and attempt to save our world order that until this point, we've been letting go unaddressed. Uh, you, you spoke to the U.S. Uh, banking industry recently, did you not? Uh, the U.S. Chamber. Oh, the U.S. Yes. And, and what was your message to them? It was really precisely this, but as we see it, um, there are two possible worlds that come out of this pandemic in terms of the, the long-term competition. There's a possibility that we just cave entirely to China, that this gives it a greater opportunity to shape the new world systems, whether that's commercial or multilateral or information. Or there's the possibility that the world wakes up and the world actually engages in this contest. And for that to happen really will require a unity of interest and of action on the part of not just the U.S. government, but the U.S. government and U.S. industry, and not just the U.S., but U.S., Canada, Europe, the allies and partners that are the actual responsible stakeholders for the global system as it currently exists. What do you expect from the U.S. administration when it comes to, when it comes to dealing with China? Uh, that's, a, you know, it's a, anything could happen. Mm-hmm. But if there's been any... Uh, common move over the past few years, it's been a recognition of the fact that this is a contest and that you can't cooperate with China and hope that the more you do that, the more they're going to cooperate with you, but that that they actually weaponize cooperation. And the real question, I think, out of the U.S. administration will be if that kind of competition simply means sanctions and messaging and immediate tariffs, or if that actually means adjusting the underlying systems and foundations that China's running all over. What indicators should we be looking for to see China's economic future? Yeah, so on the China front, definitely not the statistics that are released by the Chinese Communist Party, although those are important for shaping how the rest of the world sees it. Um, Things that are probably, things that are particularly telling out of Beijing are its relationship with foreign players. The degree to which it's able to form joint ventures or invest in ways that are giving it access to technology and leverage internationally. The thing, but at the same time, 
one of the really important questions is how the rest of the world is responding. So the degree to which the private sector outside of China is beginning to push back against integrated supply chains or is willing to push back over the Chinese Communist Party's information control or is willing to push back over joint ventures, either in their own countries or in third party countries, that's going to be decisive because China's global wager is based on the fact that there won't be pushback, that it can successfully manipulate private sectors so it doesn't matter what governments do. And if that keystone falls, then it leaves a whole open universe. Emily, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Emily de la Bruyere is the co-founder of Horizon Advisory, a consultancy that investigates Chinese policy on behalf of corporations, investors, and government agencies in the U.S. Emily is the director of China Research. Now it's your chance to weigh in through unpublished.vote. Do you feel sanctions should be leveled against China for willfully spreading misinformation about the COVID-19 virus? Yes, no, or undecided? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. Have your say. I want to thank Emily de la Bruyere, co-founder of Horizon Advisory, for joining us. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.